When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre Podcast. And today we are in Luke chapter 13 with Jesus. A terrible atrocity has happened. The Galileans, these are people that live to the north of Jerusalem. They are Jews, um, but are different. They are have a different accent. We know that from the Gospels. And we know that they are fierce fighters, and often rebellions that would break out against Rome would break out there, which is when the Jewish revolt happens that Josephus describes, it starts in Galilee. And a small outbreak of rebellion must have happened in Jesus' life. The story was going around, likely true, based on everything we know about Pilate, that he would do this. The atrocity was that Pilate had killed, executed, or killed in battle Galileans, and he had mingled their blood with their sacrifices. This must have happened around Passover when the sacrifices were happening in the temple and these Galileans' human blood mingled with the animal blood of the sacrifice, thus desecrating the sacrifice, making it unholy and unclean. This is similar to what happened with Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, who long before Jesus is born comes into Jerusalem and sacrifices a pig on the altar of God, thus desecrating the the sacrifice. Pigs are unclean animals, and so to sacrifice them on the altar is a, a way of simply showing your power in front of a, a captive people. And this is what it seems like Pilate is doing when he mingles the blood of these Galileans with their sacrifices. It is disgraceful. It is meant to intimidate. It is meant to take evil to another level. And whenever we see this happening, we wonder why, how, why is this happening? What's the point? And the question Jesus asks, and the question we're asking today is, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than everyone else in Galilee? And the answer is no, they weren't any worse. The people who died at the, in this cruel way, their bodies and lives disgraced by this capricious Roman soldier, Pontius Pilate, they weren't any worse than anybody else. They didn't deserve this. It just happened. And then he refers to 18 people who were killed and crushed by the stones of the Tower of Siloam. This is in Jerusalem. A tower falls on them. 18 people are killed instantly. And Jesus says, do you think that they were worse than any other people living in Jerusalem? No, he says, they weren't. They were just like everybody else. Why do bad things happen to good people is the old question. And part of the answer is that, well, there are no good people in the sense of people that 
have lived such lives that we could say we're perfect in every single way. This doesn't mean that they deserve or anybody deserves a tower falling on them or a rapacious and evil governor taking their lives and desecrating their bodies after their death. No. The answer of Jesus is no. Are they any worse? No. Are they any better or is anyone any better than anyone else? No. What he is pointing out in these two incidences of horror and loss is that everyone is going to perish. Everyone. Um, This is what he says in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Even if we avoid the pilots of this world and even if we avoid the tower of Salome falling, we cannot avoid that final tower falling, the tower that falls in our death. We cannot avoid that. And so we are all perishing, perishing not only under the threat of death that will happen someday, but also perishing under the threat of our own existence, that we live in this world and we suffer. We experience loss and heartache and grief and pain and all those things. And whether towers fall on us or Pilate attacks us, it doesn't matter. Things happen to us. Shit happens to us. And it's real. And Jesus says into that, those things that are happening to us, no, this is not happening for a reason. This is not happening for any reason. We always are quick to try to find meaning in our suffering. Why is this happening to me? If I could only figure out why, and then maybe adjust some little thing in my life, or maybe some big thing, Maybe I should move. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I should run. Maybe I should fight. Maybe I should die. All these responses to our suffering, all of our responses to our suffering, all hinge on this one idea that we have stuck onto that there is some meaning to it. And the overall meaning is that there is suffering in this world that all perish. And Jesus says to us, to those who have towers fall and those who have to deal with the pilots of this world. Unless you repent, you will perish too. And what does it mean for the unless? And what does it mean to repent here? It means to listen to the gardener. His parable of the fig tree, he plants a fig tree in his vineyard and he comes looking for fruit on it. He doesn't find any for three years. I mean, fig trees have multiple figs per year often. Um, and he comes looking and he doesn't find any fruit. So he says, cut it down. Why should we waste the soil? But the gardener replies, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it. I put some manure on it. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You see, Jesus is the gardener. In fact, Mary mistakes him for the gardener after his resurrection in the garden where he is laid. He is the gardener, and this is what repentance looks like. Repentance is simply saying to Jesus, dig around my roots, put a little manure around my tree. 
that's all repentance is, is crying out to Jesus and saying, come into my life, help me, be there for me, dig around me, do what you have to do in my life so I can start bearing fruit. Because the, the, the pilots will always do their worst and the towers will always fall. But we are fig trees. We are little trees planted by God in this garden. And we have a gardener that loves us. And that is what repentance looks like. It looks like trusting in Jesus, calling him by name, trusting in what he does for us, receiving his body and blood in the sacrament, going into the waters of baptism, and then bearing fruit, taking that love to the people on whom the towers are falling, taking that love to the people whose blood is being mingled with the sacrifice, and ultimately to even to the evil powers of this world, calling them to repent as well. That is what bearing fruit is. And that is what Jesus has called us to do, to repent. Because then you're not perishing anymore. Then you're growing. You're growing. And he showed us how to do this. He did this through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That Jesus is the one who had his own blood mingled with the sacrifice. Jesus is the, is the one upon whom the tower has fallen for you and for me. He knows what it's like to be human on this earth. He knows what you're going through. And he is there to help you grow. He is here to help you grow. He is here to do what needs to be done in the soil of your life to help it flourish and grow. So you can bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. This is the fruit of the Spirit that he wants to grow in you and in me. And so if you're overwhelmed by the tragedies of life, the blood and the sacrifices and the towers falling, if these things overwhelm you as they do, remember that Jesus is in the business of growing trees. That is what he is here to do. We must shift our focus from those things to the soil of the earth. Instead of looking up at the headlines, we look down at the soil and say, God, in this soil that you have given me, how can I grow? How can you help me grow? How can I bring love into this world? That seems to me to be the only response to this kind of evil, senseless evil that we cannot quite understand. To try to make sense of it will always end us in a blind alley, an alley of our own construction that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to anyone but us. The meaning we make out of our suffering is often misguided and causes us to blame ourselves and blame um, and, and blame ourselves in ways that are self-destructive. That is why trauma can be so destructive, is that it turns us in on ourselves and causes us to blame ourselves and wallow in that blame, self-blame and self-recrimination. When God looks at us as a fig tree that's still got a chance to grow, even though it's been beaten down and battered by the weather and the forces of life and the forces of evil, that is what we are to focus on that growth in repentance, that growth in love, that growth in patience.
And that is what my hope is for this world. Amen. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversaries which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.